0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 263 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. We are here to air the grievances. Happy Festivus to everybody out there who celebrates, to those who are celebrating Christmas, an early Merry Christmas from all of us to all of you. We are going to talk ACC basketball today. We have promised you for a little while that we haven't fully previewed the ACC slate So that is the goal of today's show, and we will get into exactly how we will do that in a second. But first, I am Sam Klein. I am your host for this episode. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Donald, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing all right. I uh, got to Texas to visit my dad and brother last night, so I'm here for a few days to relax during the Christmas holiday. Uh, And yeah, we, we have some ACC stuff to preview, even though there's no game.
0: That's right. Very good. Uh, Nice to hear that that you're with family. Jason Evans, how are you?
2: Doing very well. Also with family, my kids uh, who came home from college and from teaching are still hanging out in the house. Uh, We've got them for about two more weeks. And then you'll be back to just me and my wife and the dog. There you go. Very nice. All right. So like I
0: said, we are going to do a little bit of ACC preview I don't want to run through every single team and talk about their pros and cons and all that sort of stuff. We will of course get to every team in turn as Duke is scheduled to play them. So Pittsburgh wait, wait, is the one. Sam,
2: I, I prepared a half hour on Wake Forest. We're, we're not going to do that.
0: I am sorry to say that that <laughs> part is, it's going to end up on the cutting room floor as they say in the business. So we are not going to be doing a half an hour on Wake Forest. Danny Manning still at, still at Wake Forest. Yep. Nope. Nope. All right, I'm not even up to date (laughs) on that because I didn't. I didn't review them in my research for this program. The way we're going to do this, we have each picked two teams: one that we expect to overperform, and one that we expect to underperform, sort of relative to expectations. We're going to use that as kind of a jumping-off point for a few teams that we want to talk about, and I'm sure we'll fill in the rest as we go. As always, you know, if you want complete ACC preview coverage, there are plenty of places out there to get it. We are here to. Give you the the entertaining Duke fans version of it. So let's jump right into it. We will go to the overperform category first. And Donald, I want you to kick
1: us off. So my overperform team is Virginia Tech because this is not your Seth Greenberg Virginia Tech Hokies basketball team. Uh, this team has actually played some people in the non-conference and fared pretty well, notably beating Villanova. It took overtime to do it, but Villanova at number three at the time, they beat them uh, in a holiday tournament over Thanksgiving. So there's that. They've also beaten Clemson. Uh, their one loss so far is to Penn State. Uh, that was at home. But And they do have, I will say, it's not a completely, it's halfway decent non-conference schedule they've played, but it's not the Seth Greenberg type of like playing, you know, me and you and, and, and life, lifestyle fitness gym uh, type of guys. So they're playing some decent teams. They're faring pretty well. Why do I think that they're going to overperform? Well, first of all, they're picked to finish 11th. And I think they're going to finish way higher than 11th. I think they're going to finish in the top half of the ACC. They can score points. One thing about them that is unlike teams in the past is that they can very, they can rebound very well. Uh, they average 37 and a half rebounds a game so far this year. That's a lot. They also have that toughness that comes with, you know, having a good defense, being able to rebound and getting out on the floor. And really, when it comes to Virginia Tech, I think that all of these pieces together makes them a little bit better. They, they I, I hate using the sum uh, is greater than the whole, sum is greater than the parts type of analogy, but these guys together play very well. That's the whole long and short of it. They play very well together. And so far they've been having a great season together. And I think that's going to continue because I think there are some teams we'll talk about them later that I think people overhyped and I think are going to underperform what they think, what everyone thinks they're going to do. I think Virginia tech is that team. That's not going to finish 11th in the conference. They're going to finish maybe fifth or sixth, and that will put them in prime contention to actually be in the NCAA tournament this season.
0: Is there anybody on Virginia Tech that you are particularly excited about, Donald?
1: Look, there's a few guys that can score. Uh, and I think really when you're looking at it, you have Kev Aluma, you have uh, Tyrese Radford and Jalen Cohn. I think those guys have been, to me, a little bit more of a surprise because of how well they've played. And because of that, you've seen some of the other guys kind of round into form. I mean, Aluma is averaging 6.8 rebounds a game. That is a lot. In in addition to 14.8 points, he's leading the team in scoring and rebounding. He's kind of been their pace car. And so I would, if you're out there watching Virginia tech, look for him to star for this team throughout the season, but uh, they are really balanced. They have a lot of guys that play a lot of minutes and they have a lot of guys who contribute in every part of the stat sheet. So I think that's really the key is they have a lot of, I won't say they're fully well-rounded as a team, but together they play well-rounded. And I think that's how they're going to beat a lot of these teams.
2: I was going to add really quick, uh, you know, like Donald said, I, I think they are one of the teams where you can't really figure out who the, the leader of the team is, who's the guy you have to stop. They've got four guys who average double figures. They've got two other guys who are averaging better than seven points per game. And I, you, you could expect any one of those six guys to, to be the leading scorer in any given game. It, it makes, in my opinion, Virginia Tech somewhat different from the rest of the conference uh, in that they, they have a lot of potential weapons that they can come at you with. And on some teams, that quality is not great where it's not clear
0: who the who the top dog is. But there are some teams where that identity actually works in the favor of those four five or six guys who are all sort of the the could be the, the leading scorer on any given night. And you look back at, at Duke history and say the 2010 team was like that. There wasn't a star on the 2010 team, but they had multiple guys who could lead the team in scoring and look at how well it turned out for them.
2: Yeah, and the other thing about Virginia Tech is usually when there's a team like this that sort of rises up, you go, "Oh, they, they 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 were young and they got experienced," you know. "Oh, these guys are suddenly they're all juniors and seniors, and that's why they're suddenly having this really big season." Virginia Tech's very different in that in that regard. Uh, they've got a few seniors who play, but like their top three, four, five players are all like sophomores and juniors. They've got a sophomore class that is really good. So start to get to know these guys and pay attention to them because. I, you know, like Donald said, I, I agree. I think they're one of the teams that has risen up from the back of the pack to, I guess, the middle of the pack. But this Virginia Tech team, it won't be shocking if they if they perform well this year, if we aren't projecting them to be, you know, a top 25 team next season, they could be really good the next couple of years because these guys are not very old yet.
0: All right, Jason, I want to move to you. You've got another team that you
2: expect to overperform. Tell us about them. Well, Donald mentioned the team that finished, was picked to finish 11th in the preseason. I'm going one notch higher. The team that was picked to finish 10th in the ACC in the preseason was the Clemson Tigers. And Clemson, at this moment right now, looks like a real contender for the top four in the ACC. And I'm not kidding about that. This Clemson team, usually, when you're talking about a Clemson team early in the season that has a good record, you're, you know they've usually done it against a poo-poo platter of bad teams. Not this year. Uh, this is a completely different attitude from Clemson. The only bad teams they've played are South Carolina State and Moorhead State.
1: And all Alabama. Their other... <laughs> well,
2: I was going to yeah. say all their other wins are against Power Five conference teams. Yes, Alabama is one of them, but they've got wins over Purdue and Maryland. I mean, those are uh, Big Ten's a good conference. Purdue and Maryland are teams that are going to be in there for NCAA tournament bids. Clemson's already got victories over those teams. They're only blemish so far is a loss to Virginia Tech who Donald just talked about. Um, and, and I considered Virginia Tech for my team that was most surprising, team that was rising up the most, but Donald went ahead and took them. So uh, I, I'm talking about Clemson instead, but the thing about that Virginia Tech game was, it was a little weird. I'm not sure if you watched it, Donald, but Virginia Tech won this game at the free throw line when they played Clemson. Virginia Tech shot an ungodly 31 free throws in that game, 17 more than Clemson. That's the only reason that they beat Clemson. Clemson would be undefeated right now if they hadn't had this weird game where Virginia Tech just went to the free throw line forever. And and another aspect of that game was Clemson went absolutely frigid for a long stretch, I'm talking seven minutes in the second half, seven minutes where they did not score a single point. They suddenly found themselves with about 12 minutes left, down by 16 points. They fought back, and Clemson made it a two-point game with only about two minutes left. They ended up losing the game by six. But that tells you something about this Clemson team. If they hadn't gone crazy cold, and if Virginia Tech hadn't been able to put in easy points to the free throw line, Clemson would be undefeated, and I think Clemson would be knocking on the door of the top ten right now.
1: I think when it comes to Clemson and, and even Virginia Tech, I, I watched a little bit of that game. And that is exactly why I considered Virginia Tech. And, and you taking Clemson, I think if we both watch that game, it makes a lot of sense because we saw a lot out of that game. And like you said, it was one from the free throw line, you know, cold shooting, good defense, good stretches. They got it all. And, and no team is perfect. But I didn't look at that game and say, yo, those are two teams that are the bottom feeders of the ACC.
2: I'm glad you mentioned their defense because if you're going to talk about Clemson, you have to talk about their defense. Ken Pomeroy currently has Clemson as the 21st best team in the country. Number 21. He has the third best team in the ACC. They started out the year at number 40 in Ken Palm. So they have really risen up. And the reason they have risen up is because of this. Ken Pomeroy says that Clemson has the second best defense in the country. Number two, better than Virginia's defense. And other advanced metrics like T-Rank has them also with the number two defense in the country. Uh, We are talking about a team, this Clemson team plays fierce, fierce man-to-man defense. They have really experienced players, lots of juniors and seniors, playing man-to-man defense who have been doing it for a while. They force a ton of turnovers. Teams don't shoot well against them. That is a big part of why this team has risen up so much and why I think it makes them one of the best teams in the ACC. And by the way, one last note on Clemson. I love their schedule. If you look at their schedule, they only play Virginia once. They only play Duke once. They only play Louisville once. And don't be fooled if things start out kind of tough for them, the ACC conference. All their tough games come early in the schedule, loaded up in the first first half of the ACC schedule. From February on, Clemson has six home games and only three road games. And the advanced metrics say that they will be favored in every single one of their final nine games. It will not be surprised Their 10th their to last game is against Duke. It will not be surprising if Clemson goes 9-0 and down the stretch in their final nine games. Uh, not that they're all easy games, but the tough games are home games for them. The, the road games are all easy games. This Clemson team could really be coming into the ACC tournament super, super hot. They're a team to watch out for.
0: I'm glad you highlighted a team that is kind of jumping from middle of the pack to sort of the the top tier of the ACC, Jason, because I wanted to focus in my overperform category on a team that has been consistently one of the top 4 teams in the league the last few years and that I think now is poised to be the best team in the league. So, in the preseason, Florida State was voted to finish 3rd in the ACC. I think right now, given the struggles that all of Duke and Virginia and North Carolina have had, that Florida State is actually in a way in the driver's seat for ending up first in the conference. That's the team that I want to talk about. They do have a slightly tougher schedule. They have to play UNC twice. They have to play Virginia Tech twice. But Florida State has kind of all the pieces that you would want. And it starts with their head coach, Leonard Hamilton, who I think we're all fans of for a variety of reasons. One, because he looks like he's 35 and he's actually like 80 or something. I don't remember what his actual age is. We've, we've, we've talked about this a few times on the show. Um, Whatever it
2: is chronologically, it is not real. Like that that's man, right. is, he's no more than 45. You're right.
0: He's the he's the Benjamin Button of, of basketball coaches. He, he he seems to be getting younger. He did make a wonderful appearance on social media this week uh, when he took a phone call from his wife during the press conference. It was very adorable. I love Coach Ham just as the like as a as a person and as a basketball coach. I really admire the way that he runs that program. Florida State, I think, also has a number of of advantages working in their favor. We talked uh, back when we previewed the ACC big 10 challenge about Florida state and their game against Indiana, which they, which they did win. And we talked about Scotty Barnes, who's their freshman phenom who has been coming on strong. He looks like he is going to have a monster season for them and just, continues to get better and better. So they're only in like the low twenties right now in Ken Palm. I expect Florida state to rise higher and higher as the season goes on. And as I said, in particular because the other top teams in the conference have shown that there are cracks in their game planning early in the season here. I think there's a huge opportunity for Florida state who we know the last few years has been very good. They've been nationally relevant. And I think now they're, they're poised to take that next step and be you know, maybe if they're not a one seed, they could end up with a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to win the ACC regular season again as they've, as they've done a couple times in recent years. And, and everything is kind of lining up well for, for Florida State this season. So that's the, that's the team that I wanted to, to highlight as the, my overperform here early in the, in the year.
2: And like every FSU team, they're going to play a million guys. I think they have like nine or 10 guys who regularly get minutes every single game. And they're also going to have these monsters, right? I mean, they've, like Florida State has more seven-footers than anybody else in the ACC, don't they?
0: Always. That That's, that's just perennially the case. I don't know where they find them all, but they do have them. And by the way, you know, not to get too political about it, but if there is a program in a state where they're going to allow fans to be in the stands this year and and lots of them it's in florida so they, it's,
1: they already I, have i, they, I they, would
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so throughout acc season this year you're going to see posters of the cameron crazies in at cameron indoor when duke is at home which leads to a a, a much uh, lighter home uh, home court advantage that than you would expect the Tucker center is going to be filled with Florida state fans. And so they'll at least have that home court advantage when they are uh, at home in Tallahassee. So I think that's going to do it for the teams that we expect to overperform. Now let's move to previews of a couple teams we think are going to underperform relative to expectations this year. And again, we each picked three teams. I'm going to go first on this one, since I went last on the last one. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Syracuse. I mentioned that Florida state is currently ranked in the low twenties in Ken Palm, which is also right around where Syracuse is, but where Florida state is trending up. In my opinion, Syracuse, I feel like is, is teetering. And, and there are, there's one thing that I was, that I noted in my research here that I found interesting about Syracuse the last few years. I feel like, and you guys tell me if you think I'm off base, Syracuse is a nationally relevant uh, college basketball program. They're coached by a hall of famer, Jim Boeheim. They were probably the crown jewel acquisition for the ACC in terms of basketball. When the most not recent Boston college,
2: not Boston college, you know, Boston college <laughs> right behind that.
1: They're right. In the, they're right in the thick of things,
2: but, but Louisville was,
0: was very good. They, they, They made it to they won a national championship, quote unquote, a few years ago before they joined the conference. So they were also prime. But I feel like Syracuse was in a tier above Louisville. They're certainly ahead of of Boston College and Miami and all the other basketball programs that the ACC has added the last 15, 20 years. In recent seasons, here are the here are the most recent uh, final Ken Palm numbers for syracuse to give you an idea of sort of where they've ranked at the end of the season i'm dying last to hear year, this because
2: I, I i know it's ugly I, it is so much year, worse than people think
0: last year 51st the year before that 39th 41st 55th 27th and 53rd that's dating back to 2015 i didn't do the average on that but it looks like it's it's like in the high 30s low 40s so there are approximately 30 basketball programs that are better than Syracuse right now in terms of the way they're finishing. And by the way, I also looked at the, at their recruiting rankings on two, four, seven sports, basically every year, they're 30th, 32nd, 33rd in terms of their, their recruiting classes. So they're not pulling in top 10 top 20 recruiting classes, and they're not finishing in the top 25, basically in any year anymore. And it's been a while since that's been the case. I think that that is it's. I mean, it's not that that's catching up to them now. It's sort of already caught up to them. But I don't see that trend being broken anytime soon. And by the way, they were picked sixth in the preseason by the ACC media. I don't think they're going to finish that high this year. They do have. I, there was one one bright spot for them that I did want to highlight, which was Quincy Guerrier, who is a, a sophomore this year, who's having a great breakout season. He was a four-star recruit, but again, he's one of the very few four-star guys who's even on this roster. Most of the guys that Syracuse is bringing in are three-star recruits. And, and it's not really working for Jim Boeheim now the way that I think it might've done eight, 10, 15, 20 years ago when obviously Carmelo Anthony's not walking through the door, but nobody who's even close to Carmelo Anthony is is walking through the door. They've had a few games canceled due to COVID. They uh, are now on COVID pause because of a positive case from uh, Buffalo, who they had recently played. They also had a COVID scare over the summer when Jim Beheim got the virus. So who knows how, how that's affecting them. So I'm, I'm not high on Syracuse this year. I didn't look at their schedule in depth, so I, I don't know what the sort of schedule strength looks like for them, but not going to be a strong year for the Orange.
2: You know, you recounted their, um, their Ken Palm rank. I, I just want to give you how they finished in the ACC since they joined the conference. The first year they joined the conference, they finished second. Remember, they were really great that year and Duke played some uh, epic battles against them. That was the 2014 season. Next year, eighth, then ninth, then seventh, then 10th, then seventh, then sixth last year. Um, the, so, you know, this is a team that generally you can peg them for seventh, eighth, ninth in the conference. That's not an elite team by any stretch of the imagination. That's a team they had that- a hard
0: time. They had a hard time beating Northeastern a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, and and I'll tell you the other thing about them is I feel like their struggles of late have been kind of covered up by the fact that they've made some magical runs in the NCAA tournament. They they finished ninth in the ACC in 2016, and they made the Final Four and in in 2018. They finished tenth in the ACC, and they made the Sweet 16. Uh, now Duke knocked them out. We all remember that. So this is a team that like they. They sometimes rise up in the postseason, and I think it covers up the fact that they – you're right, Sam. They just have not been good for a while. Jim Beheim has clearly slipped quite significantly.
1: Look, I knew they were going to be struggling when they opened the season beating Bryant by one. Do you know where Bryant is? Neither do I. And neither does Syracuse. And they beat them by one point. And really they had to really claw to get that one point victory out. And like you said, against Northeastern, against Ryder, against Niagara, they the the win the, the point totals may look different, but they struggled in all those games. And the one team that they played that's actually any good is Rutgers. And they lost them pretty you know by ten. So
0: they did they- beat the pants off of Boston College.
2: Yes, that's the yeah.
0: second time we have mentioned Boston College in this preview. So <laughs> hey, we're we not even talking about it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no more no, moratorium. No more that Boston this preview. <laughs> if Duke
0: loses to Boston College this year, we're in big trouble. <laughs>
2: sure. Now that
0: we've now that we've made all these jokes, so we need to make sure that doesn't happen. Jason, why don't you take this next? Tell me who you think is going to underperform in the ACC this
2: season. I want to be clear that underperform is a relative kind of term because I still think this team is very, very good, and they have a possibility of being um, among the best teams in the ACC. But the team I picked is is Virginia, the Cavaliers, who were the runaway choice to be the the winner of the ACC in the preseason. They they were picked by everyone to be one of the five best teams in the country. They're, They're four and one so far, so it's not like they're tanking, but their early results are really concerning. There may be no good team in the country who has played a softer schedule than Virginia. And, and by that, I mean, uh, there are teams who have, who have worse ranked strength of schedules, but, but even those teams have played some good teams. Virginia hasn't played anyone any good. The only top 150 team they played is San Francisco, and Virginia lost to them. A week after they lost to San Francisco, they had to fight back in the final seconds to force overtime against Kent State. Kent State, not exactly a basketball power. And then they went on a long pause because COVID ran through their basketball program. They did not play anyone in the Big Ten Challenge. They were supposed to play Michigan State, didn't get a chance to do that. They have played no one thus far, and they've been unimpressive in playing no one. They came back to competition yesterday, Tuesday, and they beat an awful William & Mary team that's not even among the top 300 teams in Division One. We, we will get to see whether this Virginia team is really in trouble or whether they're any good this coming weekend because they're going to be playing Gonzaga and Gonzaga is really, really good. If they are even close, if they hold that Gonzaga offense down a little bit from the way it's been soaring, then I will say, okay, I was wrong. And Virginia is uh, again, a national title contender.
0: The only thing that can stop Gonzaga is COVID at this point. Now COVID has had a huge effect on Gonzaga, but, but to this point in the season, man, they have looked really strong.
2: Yeah. And, and back to Virginia, um, ordinarily, I would say, hey, this Gonzaga team, which is far and away the number one offensive team in the country, them against Virginia would be like, oh, that's so good. Virginia, the best defensive team in the country. Here's the thing about Virginia this year. They are actually not that good on defense. I mean, I should say that relative to their past teams. Ken Pomeroy currently has them as the number five defensive team in the country. And, and that may seem great. But like we already said, Clemson is a better defensive team than them. And usually Virginia is far and away the number one defensive team in the land. Number five is just not that good for them. And, and I have noticed they are really missing Mamadou Diakite and Braxton Key. Those guys were incredibly versatile defenders. They were great at help and recover, which is so important to what Virginia tries to do. And losing them has caused Virginia to take a notable, noticeable step backwards on defense. Now, I will say they've traded those great defenders for better offensive players, their offensive efficiency this year for Virginia actually isn't that awful, but uh, you know, they, they actually look like they are top 50 offensive team or so, but uh, you know, this Virginia team is usually just absolute lockdown on defense. And with them not being that this year, uh, I think they are very ordinary and and I don't expect them to win the ACC.
1: I, I think when it comes to Virginia, that game on Saturday against Gonzaga is super important not just for them but honestly in a way for the conference because Virginia is viewed as the class of the ACC they're viewed as the team that's expected to win the championship they're expected to be one of the top 10 teams in the country if they get run out of the gym by Gonzaga then one it I don't think it really tells us anything about Gonzaga because we know they're really good but it does say that man if Virginia has fallen off if You know, Duke has had his struggles. All these other teams had their struggles. Maybe the ACC isn't as as good as we thought it was. That is going to affect everything down the line when it comes to the NCAA tournament and how many bids we get. Virginia has to really show out and show that Jason is wrong (laughs) in the sense if they can get past Gonzaga and say, yes, the ACC still is a strong team conference and we are still a strong basketball team.
2: Let let, let me reiterate like I said, I don't think Virginia. If they win that game, it's a huge, huge statement for them. I I don't think it's really – I don't think that's too likely. Gonzaga's really, really good, uh, and Virginia's been on this long break. But if Virginia can, can, like I said, just hold that Gonzaga offense in check, like if Gonzaga doesn't score 75, 80 points, I think that's a win for Virginia and a win for the conference because it shows that our team can play with the best teams.
0: All right, Donald, I want you to finish us off and – you told us ahead of time who you're picking. So I'm sure this is going to be a fun one. Tell us about who you think is going to underperform this season. This will be the last team that we highlight on this program today.
1: Uh, I'm not a hater, but I'm just going to say it. UNC is going to underperform this year. Uh,
2: to be clear, to be clear, you're not a hater.
1: I'm not a hater. I'm telling you, I'm telling you straight up. I think they're going to underperform. Here's and,
2: and, wh- and also, also to be clear, I want to note it for the record. Donald made his pick of UNC as the team that's going to underperform before the Tar Heels lost to NC State. So, Donald, we already know. Your prediction is pretty darn good. <laughs> and UNC doesn't lose to NC State very often.
0: Yeah. Let's, so let, Let's take a moment to, to recognize the Wolfpack for doing a thing that they don't do uh, enough.
1: Exactly. And, and look, honestly, I'll even go further. They were picked to finish fourth in the conference. I think they're going to finish in the middle of the pack. I think they're going to be maybe in the 8-9 range. And here's why. So far, they haven't really played many people that are any good. The one team that they have that's their biggest victory is against Kentucky, and Kentucky's one in five. So they struggle against every team that's been good. NC State will throw that into that category. A team that, like you guys said, they rarely beat UNC. They always love trying to beat them, but they rarely do, and they, they... we able to beat them last night as we record. So they, they struggle against that. They struggled against Stanford, even though that was a win, they lost to Texas. They lost to Iowa. And, and again, NC stayed on the road last night. The thing about them is I think people always like to lump UNC into that category of they're always going to be great. Well, last year they weren't, they were six and 14 in the conference. They were the 14th seed in the tournament and they actually, I, I don't even remember back 84 years ago, but I'm pretty sure they had lost before the tournament was canceled. Uh, so this part right here is they could improve on last year and still underperform with relation to where the people put them. Cause they put them fourth. They put them ahead of teams. We've already talked about like Syracuse, who we expect to underperform NC state, Clemson, Virginia tech are all underneath. And even I'm not going to say they're uh, the Eagles. I won't say their first name. We've talked about them too much, but even they are listed below UNC and all these teams finished higher than them last year. So my issue with them is this. They've got guys back from last year. They got Garrison Brooks. They got Armando Bacot. They got Leaky black who doesn't play as much. And then they have uh, Caleb love who's been playing pretty decently, but no one's been playing well. Garrison Brooks was viewed as one of the best players in the country. One of the best players in the conference. He hasn't played that way so far. He's played pretty mediocre by his standards. They also are going to have difficulties when it comes to the meat of the ACC season, because I think for them, they're very young. They don't have a lot of leadership. We haven't seen that. And even the leadership that has remained from last year, we saw how last year turned out. We talked a lot about them last year. They didn't have that present. And I think at the very least, they just haven't shown me what they're showing these writers that voted them forth. I'm seeing a middle of the pack team when I watch them play. When I watched that UNC Kentucky game, I thought I was watching what Clemson and Virginia Tech should have been, right? Like that should be a lower tier group. But these were two blue bloods playing and none none of them played like they wanted to win. And I think that is UNC's issue this year. They may have some teams where they beat and everyone's going to say oh my god UNC's back but they're going to have some losses that are going to have old Roy rubbing his eyes like he did many many times after basketball games last year this team is a middle of the pack team in my opinion I think they're going to struggle to get into the NCAA tournament and they'll be in that second day uh where the eight nine seeds end, end up playing that is going to be where UNC ends up I am I agree
0: And look, last season, UNC wasn't very good. I mean, you talked about that. So it's not like the expectation should be this year that, yeah, they're definitely going to be top three or whatever in the conference.
1: And on paper, last year was better than this year, in my opinion. So, like, I don't see where the elevation is from 14th to 4th, thinking they lost half of what they're good at last year and bringing in guys that aren't as good at them. And now they're supposed to be one of the top four teams again because they're UNC. I just don't see that happening.
2: Look, the problem with this Carolina team, uh, I think, is pretty simple. It, it is that they are a terrible outside shooting team. And, uh, like, Carolina is hitting just barely 25% of their threes. Uh, we should repeat that stat. This is a team hitting 25% of their three-pointers. Their two primary backcourt guys, Leaky Black and Caleb Love. Uh, Caleb Love is hitting 11% of his threes so far. Leaky Black is at 18%. These guys are not good three-point shooters. And Carolina's problem is this. They're, they're, Caleb Love is uh, generally regarded as the top point guard prospect coming into college basketball this year. He's a freshman. And they put the ball in his hands. And Caleb Love is best at driving to the basket, creating space, creating opportunities in the lane. But Carolina is, has so many big men that the lane is full of other players. And so Caleb Love can't get inside. He can't create space for other players. He can't create shots for himself. So the guy who's supposed to drive their offense is driving into a, a forest full of trees, mostly his own players, and and, no, and there's no spacing, and there's nobody on the team other than maybe Andrew Playtech who can hit an outside shot to create some spacing. This team's in huge, huge trouble. And I'll give you another thing. Th- this great freshman class they had, A lot of these guys expected to be one and done. Uh, Dayron Sharp, Caleb Love, those guys were sure they were going to be in school for one year and then moving on. RJ Davis, I think, thought he was one and done. Walker Kessler certainly was thinking about it. If you look at his ranking, this is a guy who expected to be one and done. None of them, zero. None of them look like one and done players at this point. And I wonder if as the season moves on, if that causes more and more tension on the team, more and more problems. Armando Baycott. This guy came back for his sophomore year. A lot of people expected him to be leaving after this year. Garrison Brooks is a senior who has probably NBA talent. They got a lot of guys who are going to be eyeing the next level. And if they continue to struggle, we could see trouble with guys. You know, are they going to share the ball enough? There could be real discontent on this team. I think I agree with Donald's assessment. They were bad last year. They could be bad, middle of the pack bad again this year. I won't be at all surprised at that.
1: Look, you were mentioning Caleb Love and the fact that he is terrible from outside. He leads the team in three pointers. He's shot thirty-four of them. He's hit four of them. Vlav the of averages says that you're gonna hit more than that if you attempt 34 three pointers. And I think you're right. When because he's forcing that, he's not going inside. And then when he does go inside, he's met with, you know, the entire forest, and he knows he can't get around it. So they have a real issue with the spacing, I think, is their key. Uh, and you mentioned that, I think the spacing is way off. But the thing is, I don't think they know how to fix it because that was their issue last year as well. And they they had some guys that could shoot them out of it, like Cole Anthony, but they don't have those guys this year.
0: So that'll do it for our quick ACC preview. We'll certainly bring these teams back up again whenever Duke is set to face them and talk a little bit more about the teams that we didn't get to go in depth on when, when those games come around. But you'll So you'll certainly hear more from us about all these ACC teams as the season goes on. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to hand uh, Christmas presents to the Duke basketball team from each of us here at the Duke basketball report. So stick around right after the break. All right, guys, welcome back. As I mentioned before, we are going to be giving Christmas presents to the Duke basketball team. So, Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Give us a present that you want to bestow on the basketball team for when they return to ACC play next week against Pittsburgh.
1: So I have two gifts to hand out, and the first one's pretty obvious. The biggest thing that I want to give out is health and strength, to continue to have everyone remain healthy, safe throughout the year. If you want to contend for titles, you got to be good. You have to have a little bit of luck. I know we've talked about this, but above all, it does not help if you are riddled riddled with injuries and ailments. And so I wish for continued health uh, on the basketball court and off the basketball court for everyone in the program. And I just want them to return to campus with the physical, mental, and emotional strength that they need to endure the rest of the season. My second gift is for two players, is for Joey Baker and for Wendell Moore. And that gift is for them to get their shooting groove back, particularly from beyond the arc. I think if they can start hitting threes at a nice rate going forward right now, they're both one for 11. So, or I'm sorry, one for nine on the season. So they're shooting 11%. It'll be great because that can relieve the pressure on do, on, on the offense and really just put that pressure on the defense. They're going to be shifting around. We have a lot of important pieces, but those two guys missing from the offensive side of the puzzle has been damning for us so far this year, because it's something that it doesn't seem like we're able to make up as well as some of the other weaknesses we may have. So if we can get those guys shooting a little bit better, that'll open the floor up for everyone. And really we'll be one of those teams that, you know, you say, Hey, we can count on these guys to contribute, you know, up and down the board and we'll have some leadership on the floor that can lead by example, by putting the ball in the basket.
0: I think there is so much that can be solved for this team. If either of Wendell Moore or Joey Baker becomes a credible outside threat. That's also playing a lot of minutes, right? We know from years past that Joey Baker is a capable shooter. He just hasn't found his groove yet this season, but if he is giving this team 15 or 20 minutes of 39 or 40% from three, man, what a difference this team looks like. And we know that he can do that. He's done it before. So we just need to see him do it this year. All right, Jason coming to you next, give me a gift for this Duke team or Tell me more about Donald's gifts that, that he bestowed.
2: So I think Donald's gifts were dead on target. Um, let me tell you what I came up with in my Christmas gift for the Duke Blue Devils. Towards the night before Christmas and all through the pod, the Dukies were rut- restless, a team struggling. Oh my God, a gift they did need these players of K, but what to bestow to make them better one day? I pondered and thought many notions I did broach. Perhaps I could give better shooting to Roach. No, that's not it. How about big man Mark? More offensive moves could provide a real spark. And JJ, the high flyer whose foot has a bruise, a return from injury would be so much good news. On Stewart, on Breakfield and on Henry Coleman, confidence for the freshmen. That would be a good omen. As I thought and considered the best gifts to bestow, I was fixated on freshmen, kids who needed to grow, but maybe I was wrong, acting in haste. On older players, a gift would not be in waste. Yes, I exclaimed, I'll help out a vet, but which of these players had a need to be met? The sharpshooting hurt and steady gold wire, they're already succeeding, a gift here might backfire. And then it hit me, the idea that was best, help those who are struggling, the players most distressed. I I knew who that was, Baker and Moore got my vote. The shooting, oh my, they couldn't hit water from a boat. And with that, I knew what would be my gift, That's something that surely would give Duke a lift to Wendell and Joey, a shot in the arm better shooting from them would work like a charm. It's not unrealistic that they should get hot. They've shown it before. We've seen it a lot. So Joey will bomb away. It will be so chill and Wendell will be clutch like he was in chapel Hill. So those are my gifts to get Duke out of its rut. And if it comes true, many nets will be cut.
1: Look, Everyone out there, I know I just wasted your time the last four minutes with my spiel on Wendell and Joey. Listen to what Jason just said; that was awesome. <laughs> that was much better. And I hope, I, I hope the fact that you came up with the poem uh, it, just to just to get their spirits. I hope that spirit is met. Please, please, that was awesome.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I'm really upset that I'm going after this because I, <laughs> Jason, it's. It's amazing that you can freestyle that well. I had I had no idea yeah, that, you right. had, that you had all that into That you. was off
1: the rip. That, I, I mean, <laughs> the, the mixtape is coming through. Well, it's not a mixtape. It's a Christmas mixtape, but, you know. They call that, I soon. think they
0: call that dropping bars. That's what, is bars. that what Jason just did? is He, he dropped some bars. Bars? bars. Yeah, a few of them. So that was <laughs> fantastic. I am going to give a Christmas gift that is one, Christmas themed, although not as thoroughly as Jason's was. Uh, and two, not the same as the ones that you guys picked. So I'm going to give you and I'm not going to call it the, the ghost of Christmas past. I'm going to call it the spirit of Trey Jones past because Duke misses Trey Jones right now. They miss his leadership. They miss his offensive ability. Even if he wasn't, you know, the greatest offensive player on the team, he was a very steady hand as the point guard and they really miss his defense. They, they miss Trey Jones in basically every way that you possibly could. He is often the NBA. Now we are wishing him the best as, as opening night is, is approaching for the NBA, but Duke misses everything about Trey Jones. And so upon the entire team, I would like to bestow the spirit of Trey Jones past because if they, if, if Wendell Moore or Jordan Goldwire can embody Trey Jones's leadership and if Goldwire and, and Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart can, can take on Trey Jones's full, you know, defensive prowess. And, and if, if any of them can have the, the, the clutch gene that Trey shared with his brother Tyus, then we are in for a special season this year. So the spirit of Trey Jones past is my Christmas gift to the Blue Devils.
1: The, that right there is the reason, one of the many reasons why I'm still mad at COVID for robbing us of an ACC tournament at NCAA, NCAA tournament because watching Trey doing that uh, on the floor last year would have been great. Uh, to see him go for that title cuz I think he would have willed this team at least to go as far as we possibly could. I don't know, you know, I don't we'll never know if we would have won the thing, but we would have had a shot with number, you know, with, with Trey Jones in the lineup.
2: Dude, dude, Justin Robinson was going to win Final Four most outstanding player. Exactly. I have no doubt of that in my mind. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Speaking of things that the Duke Ben's basketball team tweeted out in recent days cuz I think they made a joke about that. They did. I also see a note from yesterday that the that Duke has 26 former players on NBA rosters on opening night, which is an ACC record beating Duke's record that they set last year. So uh, congratulations to all the alumni who are, are on NBA rosters to start the season. I think that the rosters were expanded this year to account for the the, the change schedule. So that allows a little bit more flexibility and, and there may be one or two Blue Devils who are on opening day rosters that would not have otherwise been if the rosters weren't expanded, but congratulations and good luck to all of them. I'm sure we will talk more NBA as, as the season unfolds and we get to see some of the Duke guys who are, who are performing out, out
2: there. Yeah. Hey, and shout out, by the way, Quinn Cook last night received his, his championship ring. His hands are getting to be very heavy with all the championship rings. He has multiples of them. That is a truly rare thing that can happen in your career.
0: Quinn Cook seems to, seems to find his way onto the, onto the best teams and, and find himself playing with the best guys. And I don't think that that's an accident.
1: I mean, they, they seem to love him. I mean, if you saw during the ceremony last night, he was yamming it up with AD and LeBron. And if you're going to yam it up with two guys on the Lakers, those are the two guys you want to yam it up with because uh, they're the two most important guys on the team. And the fact that they both wanted Quinn and actively recruited for Quinn to be a part of that team last year says a lot.
2: Hey, and by the way, really quick, as long as we're talking about the Dukies who made opening day rosters, the, uh, the 26th of them, um, arguably, was Cassius Stanley uh, on the Indiana Pacers. We predicted – Cassius was a mid-second-round draft pick. That is not a guy who's going to automatically make a roster. But when it happened, we predicted on this podcast that he would end up making the Pacers roster. Um, I actually think folks keep an eye on it. I think he's going to get some playing time for this team. And I think he's going to impress people. He's had some moments in the preseason that were really, really impressive. And I think the Pacers realized they got a real steal with this kid in the second round.
1: He was, I mean, he was what, 54th. He was really the late second round. He was one of the last guys taken. Uh, and I think he's going to spend a lot of the first part of this year making sure everyone who drafted before him, make sure they know exactly what they missed out on. But I will also say on a personal note, shout out to the Pistons. They open up tonight. Uh, J- Jalil Okafor and Mason Plumley, both. Featuring regularly for the team, Mason is uh, is the projected starter. He started basically throughout the preseason. Okafer has basically replaced him uh, on that second unit. So those guys are having active roles very, very quickly for my Detroit Pistons.
0: All right, so we have handed out gifts to the Blue Devils ahead of Christmas. So I think that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Folks, as we always say... Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. If you want us to read about your review on the show, feel free to email us as always at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love getting mail from all of you and, and seeing what you have to say. Some of that will spark conversation here on the show. So keep sending us notes. We will be back next week, at least after Duke's game against Pittsburgh to review that and kind of look ahead at at what's coming down the pipe for ACC play for the Blue Devils. But for now, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. Merry Christmas to all of you. Have a wonderful holiday. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home. Guys, before we start... Um, the fire alarm went off in my building this morning, and no, I have to tell them. I do. I do. Um, my girlfriend made the most blood-curdling scream I have ever heard a human being make. It was like, like it. It was so over the top. Oh, wait, Sam. It,
2: Sam. That, yes. Can you duplicate it, or if not, call her in. And no, no, do it, it cannot be duplicated. It
0: cannot. It, <laughs> if you had
2: heard it, if you had hurt, if you had seen it in a movie,
0: you would have been like, oh, they're overacting. Like this is like this. She just said she hates me. From the fire alarm? <laughs> From the fire alarm. Because she was asleep.
1: I mean, I, I get it.
0: I was the, it. the dog and I were sitting on the couch watching TV. And she was asleep. and All of a sudden the fire alarm went off and, and it was like end times. Like she had turned into a zombie or something. Yeah i get it it was incredible i'm mad at her
2: Uh, look hey last week donald
0: says donald says he's not mad at you
2: last last week donald made some kind of girly cry when when they blew up the hotel across the river from him or whatever remember that's true
1: (laughs) no i woke i didn't make no girly cry i was like what the (laughs) fuck was that there's a difference